connected with us. You'll get uh, the audio version of this message each week. You'll also get study notes. Some people are opening their study notes right now and they're going to be filling in the study notes as we share the message this morning. You can give. You're able to make your gifts, your tithes and offerings to God right there. It's one button away. You can set up a recurring gift. You can set up a one-time gift. You can do that right there. You can have a Bible in case you don't have a Bible. Sometimes it's great when guys join us for the men's Bible study and they say, Pastor, I don't have a Bible. I say, yes, you do. If you have the app, you have a Bible. And so you can download that and connect with that. Again, that's COA-FL, and you'll see it coming up in your feed as well. We're excited that you decided to be with us, and uh, we're honored that you decided to spend Easter with us. And so today, I want to spend some time, we're starting a new series, and this new series is called the Easter Challenge, and we gave away 200 of these devotionals on Thursday. People drove through and picked up the devotionals. We were able to get them out to folks. Uh, We were able to give out uh, Easter egg packs for kids, and so um, if If you didn't get one of these, you just need to let the church office know. We do have uh, some more at the church office, and and again, we'll respect socially distance and all those things, but if you need to pick one up, you can come by the church office Monday through Thursday, 9 to 3. Someone can uh, pick those up for you. We also have uh, made uh, a couple digital copies so that the people who maybe can't get it to start tomorrow, you can let us know in the feed. And someone will send you the first couple pages so that you can be ready. It's going to be 30 days where we go through this devotional. Each morning, there's an opportunity for devotional. And there's also a chance for a family challenge in here. So you can take advantage of that. Just let us know that you need it. We'll put it in your hands. Again, it's the Easter challenge. But we are here this morning. And as we unpack Easter, uh, this is one of those times a year where we come together and two billion people around the world celebrate Jesus. They celebrate the resurrection. They celebrate a historic fact. And, uh, and so uh, as, we, as we come today, I, uh, I want you to understand and I want you to kind of wrap your heart around it because sometimes I think people think that Christians just kind of check our brains at the door and there's no evidence and there's no proof And today I'm going to spend some time helping you understand the evidence and the proof of the resurrection because if the tomb is empty and the cross is empty, then the grave is defeated and Satan's sin and death have been destroyed. And that's good news for you and good news for me. I know it's good news for me because Jesus found me when I was at my worst. When I had given up, when I had no hope and no options, Jesus came in and let me know there was an option. And all I had to do was believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That He died on the cross for my sin. My sin. That He was resurrected and defeated death. So I no longer had to be afraid of death. That that He ascended to heaven and is preparing a place for me from His own words. He said, if I go away to prepare a place for you, then I'm going to come back to take you that you may be where I am also. If it was not true, I would not have said it. And Jesus has never been proven to be a liar. And then finally, we believe that Jesus is one day going to take us to be with him. That could be today for all we know. 
And so as we look at this, I always thought to myself, I don't know about you, but growing up, my mom always had an Easter basket ready for us. Doesn't matter how tough it was, she always found a way to have an Easter basket or a plate that had the Easter bunny uh, uh, chocolate. She always bit the ears off. Mom, I know you're watching. She always bit the ears off of every one of our bunnies. And, you know, and so, and, and we, we had coconut egg or a peanut butter egg and jelly beans and all these wonderful things. Um, uh, we, would, we would get on our church clothes and go to church. And there's a couple pictures I posted before of me in this sweet suit that would be in style right now you know it's amazing how things come back and I've got the same haircut right now so you know who, who doesn't say those things come back but you know I always thought to myself you know chocolate bunnies are great and I'm not mad at chocolate bunnies but wouldn't a cross be a wonderful gift for Easter wouldn't that be a wonderful gift to give somebody on Easter morning if you received a cross and uh, because the cross is very special, and I would imagine there's a few people uh, who, in our band and singers here, I would imagine somebody is wearing a cross or somebody has worn a cross at some time, yeah? And so, so we all have, have had a cross and we've all been wearing a cross because it has special meaning. But the truth of the matter is, have we ever really thought about what the cross symbolizes? Have we ever really thought about that? And originally the cross was used by Rome to execute um, prisoners. It was basically the, that, the, the electric chair of their day. And uh, only they used it for worse because the, the Romans were excellent at humiliating you. They wanted you to suffer. They wanted to torture you. And then they wanted you to die. And most of the time, crucifixion happened by suffocation because the person would be pushing up and eventually they couldn't push up anymore and they would suffocate. And so when you think about that under the weight of their own body, so if you've worn a cross around your neck and uh, it'd be like you wearing an electric chair around your neck right now, you know, in our day. But here's what I don't want. I don't want you to stop wearing the cross. And here's the reason why. What was once an ugly instrument now stands in churches empty because of Jesus. And so I want you to know that that is the perfect example of how God can take something ugly and something used to destroy and he can transform it into a symbol of beauty and hope. And that's what he did with my life, and that's what he can do with your life. And he did that with something as ugly, as destructive, as cruel, as harsh as the cross. He made it beautiful. You know, the first time we put this cross up here, this cross, by the way, it, it, it was made for us uh, in 2011 or 12. Before we were ever in this building, we used to put this up for eight Easter's. We put this up in a gymnasium, and it couldn't stay up. And when we raised this exact cross in this exact building three years ago, we raised it up in there. Actually, this is our third Good Friday and Easter here. It fit exactly perfect there. And the guy who helped me put it up was not a believer and he said, man, you had that made exactly perfect. That was custom. I said, no, sir, I, we've actually had this cross in storage since 2011. And he was like, man, I'm not a religious guy, but that's pretty awesome. And I thought, what another way that the cross is still testifying of the greatness of our God. 
You see, the resurrection reminds us that Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And the cross isn't any less barbaric. It's still just as barbaric, and the cross is not kinder. But the cross is a symbol of how much God loves you and how much God loves me. That's what the cross is a symbol of. It's a symbol of redemption, that he can redeem even the worst. It's a symbol of transformation, that he can take a life and transform it. You'll never be perfect, but you're being perfected. And he can transform that life into something beautiful. You see, it's a, it's a symbol of our salvation, and, and maybe you've never thought of the cross like that before, but I want you to understand that there are two billion people around the world celebrating the empty cross and the empty tomb today. And like the crosses we wear around our neck, the resurrection points to the harsh reality of what's happening in our world. It points that our world is fallen and broken that even creation cries out. They know we weren't made for this. This is not what it was supposed to be. But because of the cross, one day it will be as it was always meant to be. And so we learn to hold on to that. We learn to hold tightly. You see, because without the resurrection, without the resurrection of Jesus, the cross is barbaric and meaningless. It's just a tool of execution. But with the resurrection, it's hope and life. You see, in Matthew 28, 13, the tomb was empty. Jesus' detractors admitted it was. It's not just Christians who admitted that the, that the tomb was empty. It was the people who had Jesus set up and crucified who testified that the tomb was empty. And they were worried that the word would get out that because they said, we heard him tell us that if he is killed, he will be raised again on the third day. And so they posted guards and their, his own enemies testified that the tomb was empty. It wasn't just uh, 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 Peter and James and John going around saying the tomb was empty. It wasn't just Mary and Mary going around saying that. It was his own enemies that testified that the tomb was empty. So they bribed the guards and they said, we want you to tell them that his disciples came and stole him because you fell asleep. And the priests, they couldn't produce a body. So the tomb remained empty, and so they thought that if they said the disciples stole his body, it would be a plausible explanation. But what they didn't understand is that if those Roman guards allowed these people to steal the body, then they themselves would be putting themselves in harm's way. They'd be saying that they failed. And then we come to this excruciating testimony. You know what the word excruciating mean? it means? It means from the cross. They actually had to create a word for the torture, for the pain that the cross, that crucifixion created. And it was called from the cross. Excruciating. This excruciating testimony is something that allows us to know that there is evidence of the truth of the resurrection. You see, every one of the disciples of Jesus faced persecution and all but one was killed and not one of them said, hey, 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 wait a second, we made that story up. Not one of them as they were, as they were being cut in half 
as they were being crucified upside down, as they were being beheaded, as they were being fed, not any of them said, wait, I changed my mind. That's an excruciating testimony. Wouldn't most people save their life by saying I made this story up just to save their life? But they didn't because they knew that the tomb was empty and Jesus was alive. And they knew that, yes, you can take this life, but you can't take eternal life from me and you can't take Jesus from me. And then the other aspect of that is the embarrassing testimony. These guys were Jesus' best friends. These guys walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Where he went, they went. And then to write down, right when he needed us most, we ran. And, and to write down, we couldn't even pray with him for one hour. We couldn't even pray with him for an hour. Who would write that? None of us would. We'd be like, man, we had a prayer meeting like you ain't ever seen. And then when they came, we were throwing down and somehow they snuck and got Jesus. None of that. These guys told the story and they were embarrassed. Peter denied Jesus. The disciples, some of them ran away and as they were running, their clothes were pulled off. They ran away naked. Who's going to testify that kind of embarrassment? For all of history, 2,000 years later, we still know you were cowards. Nobody's going to write that down. So you have this excruciating testimony. You have this, this embarrassing testimony, and then, and then you have the early testimony. Did you know that there are more, there's more proof of what happened to Jesus in early testimony and in eyewitness testimony than any other event in history? There is proof. There were 500 witnesses that saw the risen Jesus. There are 500 people that said that the, the hope was found because the tomb was empty. They found hope because the tomb was empty. Jesus was not in the tomb. And if you look at Acts as a historical document, which is what Luke was, he was a historian, there are 140 specific details about what happened and the resurrection at that time. And all of that is within 150 years of Christ's resurrection. All of that information, some as early as 30 plus years and up, up to 150 years. You don't have that kind of history on any other person. C.W. Hall said this, he said, The resurrection of Jesus changes the faith of, face of death for all people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Death is no longer a prison. It is now a passage into God's presence. Easter says, you can put truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. You can put truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. You see, the resurrection completely transforms death to anyone who believes, to any of us who believe. You see, without the resurrection, death is a tragic ending to life. It's tragic. But with the resurrection, death is the beginning of eternal life. Without the resurrection, death is when all of our strength finally leaves us. But with the resurrection, it's where our eternal glory begins. And when you take in all those things that I just shared with you, you take those things into account, and then you take into the fact that there are 10 valid extra-biblical texts 
that mention Jesus and his disciples. There are 10 different writers from, from Romans to Jews to, to, to others outside of the faith that actually testify that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, that he had followers, and that his followers all claimed that he was resurrected. You can find that in history itself. No one's going to write that in history unless it's something that was true. And so they, they wrote that down because this is what we find ourselves 2,000 years later celebrating in 2020 that Jesus is alive. We're just carrying on the same tradition that has been carried on for thousands of years. Something that we know beyond the shadow of a doubt is true. And the evidence is overwhelming for it. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. Search it yourself. You don't even have to take what I say as true. You search it for yourself. And I'll, I'll tell you this. Almost everyone who goes searching for it ends up turning their hearts over to God because the evidence is so overwhelming that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world, and that includes you, that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, that Jesus ascended to heaven and is preparing a place for us. And one day Jesus is going to take us to be with him. All of those things you're going to find. So as we get to our notes today, we're getting to the overwhelming evidence. The first thing I want you to see is the resurrection is proof. The resurrection is proof. Mark says this. Mark says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus told his followers this was going to happen. He told his enemies it was going to happen. And Jesus said it had to happen. Why? Because sin had to be paid for. There was a gap between God and man. And the cross was the only way. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, but your will be done. And so the cross of Christ is where the justice of God, that's where sin had to be paid for, met the grace of God, meaning you didn't deserve it and I didn't deserve it. And the rightful wrath of God was satisfied, meaning sin's debt was paid in full through death. And objects of wrath, that was a guy like me becoming objects of affection. That's a guy like me. And we get a chance to experience that. And this is what, this is what uh, 1 Corinthians says. It says this, And if Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 21, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Let that sink in for a minute. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Meaning you are separated from God, you are hopeless, you are helpless. He says, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That means those who have believed for this last 2,000 years, they have perished. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in only this life, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Meaning you should have pity on us as Christians. If, this, if Jesus isn't alive, you should feel sorry for us. But, look at this. It says, but in fact, 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man came also resurrection from the dead. So Paul starts out with an argument says, you shouldn't listen. If, if, if Jesus is not, if, if Jesus is still in the tomb, if you can still find his bones, then you should feel sorry for all of us. He said, but in fact, why? Because of eyewitness testimony, excruciating testimony, embarrassing testimony, because of all of those proofs. But in fact, Jesus is alive. And if he's alive, then you and I have hope. If he's alive, we're no longer dead in our sins. You see, I don't know about you, but I've been trapped in addiction. I know what it's like to get up in the morning and need my next hit. I know what it's like to shake just to need that next drink. I know what it's like to have a family curse of alcoholism. I know what it's like to struggle. I know what it's like to have hopelessness. I know what it's like to want to die every day. Until Jesus stepped in. And then he gives you life. Real life. And it's been 30 years since I've been serving Jesus. 30 years serving Jesus. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. The resurrection is proof that you have hope. The second thing I want you to see is the refusal to renounce Jesus in the face of death is proof. That's that excruciating testimony I talked about. In Acts chapter 12, verse 2, it says, He, that's King Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So James and John, you know, they were always with Jesus. Come and follow me. They followed him, and Herod said, If you don't shut up about Jesus, you're going to be killed. And you know what? John didn't shut up about Jesus. And you know what? He was killed. And some people say, Man, he lost. No, he didn't. He was martyred, and trust me, just the same way Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, is the same thing that John experienced, and death would never visit John again. Hallelujah. Romans 8.36 says this, listen to this, it says, For your sake, speaking of God, for your sake we are being killed all day long. Paul's speaking to the church. He says, we preach this gospel. We give it out to everybody, and everybody wants to kill us. For your sake, we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul said, I come to preach this good news. I come to preach this gospel, and everywhere I go, people are trying to kill me, but I can't shut up because you need Jesus. And he said, you can kill me. As a matter of fact, Christian tradition says that as Paul was led away, he was led away by Roman guards that he had already won the Christ. And as he was led away, he was happy. He said, I've been poured out like a drink offering. I finally get to see my Jesus. And they took his head. Nero took his head. But they didn't take his life. They didn't take his eternal life and they never took his God from him. That's the hope that we have. There was no renouncing of faith. The third thing I want you to see this morning is this. The riveting reversal of Peter's testimony is proof. Peter denied Jesus even to the point of a little girl where he spoke curses on himself and began to swear so that people wouldn't believe he was a follower of Jesus. 
Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me. He said, never. Then he ends up doing it. And then as he's warming himself by a fire, somebody says, you're one of his followers. No, I'm not. They say it again. You're one of his followers. No, I'm not. Then finally a little girl says, no, you're one of his followers. And he starts to bring curses on himself and swear to prove that he didn't know Jesus. And then 50 days later, 50 days later, that's less than two months, he stands up in front of thousands of people, in front of the very people that crucified Jesus, and he begins to testify that you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead, and you can't shut me up. Now tell me what happens when there's a reversal of testimony like that. You're terrified for your life. You're terrified for your life so much so that Jesus, that Peter was one of Jesus' best, 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 best friends. And all of a sudden he changes and he's terrified and now he'll stand in the middle of the street saying, kill me. You can do what you want, but I can't shut up because my Jesus is alive. This is what it says in John 18, 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you also, are, uh, uh, you also are not one of the disciples, are you? And he denied. He said, I am not. That's good news for me and you. Because there have been times in our life when we, did, when we denied God and we thought it was it for us. We thought it was over. I failed Jesus. I denied Jesus. I've turned my back on Jesus. The good news is the cross and the resurrection gives you hope to be forgiven, to have your life changed. Jesus restored Peter. If he restored Peter, why won't he restore you? He just simply said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, God, you know I love you. He asked him three times, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. And finally he said, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. And if there's one thing you know in this heart is that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep, man. And Peter goes on to follow Jesus in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up in front of this whole crowd and now he says, repent, believe. And in front of a small group of people, he wouldn't even testify that he knew Jesus. That's a riveting reversal of a testimony. So think about those things that we've been talking about. And finally, we get to our last point. Those who believe and receive the good news of Jesus Christ are changed. And that's proof. That's proof. That's proof. John 10, 8 and 9. I mean, Romans 10, 8 and 9. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 says, But what does it say? The word is near you in my mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who receive Him, to all who believed in His name, He gave them the right to be called children of God. 
The resurrection is proof. The testimonies. The refusal to renounce. The reversal of Peter's testimony. And my life and the lives of others. The lives of the followers of Jesus, the disciples, the apostles. See, I can only tell you one thing, and that is that Jesus changed my life. Alcoholism had run rampant in my family and destroyed my family. Lost many of my family members to alcoholism. Was trapped, doomed to be just like them. But then Jesus stepped in. I took it a step further because it wasn't just about alcohol for me. It was about hard drugs. Trying to numb the pain of this life. And all it did was make it worse. But then Jesus stepped in. I've had family members ask. They said, what happened? How did this happen? I said, all I can tell you, man, is that Jesus changed my life. All I can tell you is I take it day by day, step by step, moment by moment. All I can tell you is I'm not perfect, and I fall down on a regular basis. The difference is I know I'm being perfected, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in me. You can have that today. But before you make that decision, the band's going to come back. And as you're preparing to make this decision... They're going to sing one of the earliest hymns of the church. It's actually birthed out of Scripture. One of the earliest sections of text ever found is known as the Apostles' Creed. And they're going to sing a song. And as they begin to sing this song, I want you to think about your relationship with God. I want you to take a minute and consider your relationship with Jesus. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to invite you to say a prayer with us, a prayer of faith, a prayer of hope, and I believe that God wants to set you free today. Let's sing together.